This is TechWave, a Gartner IT podcast. Welcome to the TechWave podcast. This is Gartner's podcast for technology-driven business results. My name is Francis Karamuzis, and I'm your moderator. What I know will be a really engaging discussion. Today's podcast theme is Predictions Playground. In this format of the podcast, we invite some of our expert analysts to join and to set up kind of a tripod of discussion. One, what has happened in a specific area that leads up to a prediction? What could happen? And what is Gartner's actual predictions? And so these expert analysts are going to share their thoughts. Um, and at the end, we will leave the audience with this kind of letter or postcard back to the present from a speculative future reality so that business and IT leaders can get ready for what's coming. So with this backdrop in mind, today's topic is demystifying hyper-automation. We're going to talk about the money, about the technology, and about the outcomes. So now that I kind of set the stage for our predictions playground around demystifying hyper-automation, let me welcome my two Gartner colleagues, Mr. Keith Goodridge and Mr. Sekat Ray. Both of them are veteran Gartner analysts who work with and speak to lots of clients um, about hyper-automation initiatives. So let me welcome both of you. Thank you, Fran. I've been looking forward to this discussion. We've got quite a lot to try and cover today in quite a short space of time. So let's see how we get on. Um, like many things, I think the familiarity with the word hyper-automation means that many people have a, a view of what it means to them, but some of them are missing the bigger picture. Some of them are starting to lose out on some of the, you know, the broader capabilities it can provide, and hopefully we can, we can help with some of that. Likewise, it's great to talk to both of you. Thank you so much, Fran. I'm so happy to be a part of this discussion. Well, hyper-automation actually is getting a lot of interest from our customers. I must say it's a very important topic and the timing is right about perfect. To me, it's more about a discipline that runs through the full circle of automation. It helps you to achieve end-to-end, intelligent, event-driven, and a well-integrated form of automation. Wow, thank you both of you for joining today. So let me begin explaining really quickly what Gartner refers to as hyper-automation. First, Gartner talks about business-driven hyper-automation. Second, Gartner doesn't consider hyper-automation a single technology or even a technology at all. Rather, when Gartner coined this term back in 2014, so well over eight years ago, we defined it as a disciplined approach and more specifically, a disciplined approach to rapidly identifying, vetting, and automating as many business and IT processes as possible. So with regard to technologies, and we're gonna get more into this, hyper-automation involves the orchestrated use of multiple technologies, tools, or platforms. Examples include AI, or machine learning, or event-driven software architectures, or robotic process automation, RPA, or BPM, business process uh, management, or IPaaS, or low code, and many, many more. So gentlemen, let me start by asking the obvious. Keith, why is there so much, so much discussion or debate or confusion about hyper-automation? Why are we here demystifying it? 
Well, I think it's because there's so much new interest in the area and there's a lot of people coming through with relatively new eyes um, who are not necessarily familiar with traditional technology categories that are really just focusing on, on, on outcomes. We would like to think that we've got our product categories clear and concise. Um, you've got one technology category complements and doesn't compete with other categories. There's a clear one-to-one mapping of an outcome to a, to a tool or a technology. But the reality is, is somewhat different. We're having to re- re- revisit our existing categories and capabilities, and we're seeing lots of vendors coalesce around buyer journeys. As I alluded to earlier, a lot of these new buyers are completely unaware of the technologies, the categories, and the terms that, that have been used around the automation space. And they're coming to go out and are asking us to review their vendor shortlists. And sometimes we're looking at these shortlists, and you know, they're not from a single category. In fact, they can be from many. You know, we'll start to see uh, some from RPA, from the Robotic Process Automation, from Integration Platform as a Service, or some of the existing process tools. But interestingly, we're starting to see application development platforms, such as low-code application platforms, also coming into this shortlist. No wonder it seems mystical. How, how do prospects handle this when they put out a single request and everyone says they can solve their problem? Thank you, Keith. And Saycat, let me turn it over to you. Like many of our Gartner analysts, you're pretty busy and you likely take well over 500 calls on this topic of hyper-automation. What are the, some of the common questions that you get about this whole topic? Yeah, sure. Um, I see two topics most popular in my client discussions. Well, the number one is how to move beyond robotic process automation or RPA. Um, meaning beyond the screen scraping and simple processes to deliver larger and more complex hyper-automation initiatives, which might also require other technologies, such as a business process automation platform with complex workflow capabilities or low-code application development platforms, um, AI, machine learning, or integration platform as a service, so on and so forth. So that's number one. Number two, um, I would say it's mostly around the governance of the multiple concurrent hyper-automation initiatives uh, that that probably are going on across several business functions. And these days, clients ask more about either scaling their automation initiatives. Um, Sometimes they're quite myopic on that RP initiatives, but also the question center around how to select that right mix of technologies for their hyper-automation strategy. So these are the top two, I would say, inquiries that I face. Um, In fact, if I may ask you a question, friend, um, since you have been following this market for so many years, um, you talked about money, technology, and outcomes at the beginning. Can you throw some light on the money aspect of hyper-automation? Yes, let me answer your question and share some of Gartner's data on the money that's flowing in this market. I was actually working with and talking with one of our forecasting analysts, namely uh, Varsha Meta. Varsha is one of our hardworking analysts that's diligently looking after uh, all of these various markets and quantifying them. And she just was part of a team that published a research note that by 2026, the market for software that enables hyper-automation will reach nearly $1.04 trillion dollars. From, 2020, from the 2021 numbers that hovered around 591 billion. This represents kind of a compound annual growth rate of 11.9%. So 
So this includes all those technologies that were mentioned earlier, artificial intelligence, RPA or robotic process automation, business process management or BPM, also referred to as BPA, business process um, analysis, or low code, um, or IPaaS or workflow. When you peel away the onion at some of these big numbers, you'll find that some of these items, um, as an interesting example, that some of the specific areas like low-code application platforms are one of the largest uh, markets in size or a swim lane. And it's you know approaching in the new forecast is around 7.61 billion in 2022. Um, and I won't go into lots of the detail. I think some of you might um, share some of that. But as a, as a teaser, one of the things I will tell you is that you, um, if you look at this, for every dollar of software that's spent, there's probably four to twelve dollars spent on services. So this includes strategy and consulting and implementation and systems integration. I'll actually repeat that: for every dollar of that one close to one trillion that's going to appear in 2026, there's four to twelve dollars being spent on services. So we're not just talking about one trillion, we're actually referring to trillions, you know, multiples of those. So there's a lot of money flowing in the market. Um, and so when you talk about, you know, things like outcomes, you know, all of this really better be achieving business outcomes rather than just technology for technology's sake. So with that context, you know, Keith, let me jump in and share some of the technologies um, that we are referring to. What's your sort of prediction? And if we kind of go back to our theme, what do you think has happened? What uh, could happen? And what is your prediction of uh, where you think the market's going to go? Yeah, thanks, Fran. I think, first of all, I mean, the, the, I'm tracking over a dozen markets in sort of the, the independent sort of process tools. So, so these are technologies and, and markets that focus on providing a broad range of capabilities um, to, to help with hyper-automation initiatives. Um, and I think we have to start with robotic process automation, right? I think, you know, expected to hit $2.8 billion in 2022, forecast to reach almost $5 billion in 2026. And this is where a large percentage of recent hyper-automation interest um, begins, right? Starting out with the, the task and sort of the simple processes and then recognizing the value this provides and trying to, trying to, trying to push beyond uh, into providing more, more outputs and more capabilities. The second market really is the business process management that we touched on, whether we want to call it business process management suites, business process automation. You know, ultimately, this is sort of a, a more of a, a traditional focus of a lot of uh, business-driven automation initiatives you know, over the previous 10, 15 years. Um, this is a $2.5 billion market in 2022. We're expecting it to stay around the same because a lot of the more simple use cases are actually flowing into some of these other areas, which is why we're having this discussion today. Integration platform as a service, you know, that's been a bit of a surprise for many people in looking at automation. What does integration have to do with automation? But um, you know, this is $5.6 billion in 2022. I'm going to double over the next sort of four to five years. Um, if we think about automation as the driver or, or the outcome and integration really about sort of the connecting of systems together, traditionally via the APIs and interfaces, you can start to see why iPaaS starts to become such a, a big part in enabling new capabilities in, in, in hyper-automation delivery. 
As Fran pointed out, the larger section is low-code application platforms. Again, many people might be questioning how does you know the building of new capabilities and you know, new interfaces, uh, new experiences, and, and new sort of functions and features uh, enable workflow. But what we're seeing is people taking advantage of these technologies to change the way that the employees and customers engage with organizations. Um, these are sort of the main focuses of hyper-automation initiatives, but we also have complementary technologies, intelligent document processing to help with extraction of data, to help with the digitization of data entry, process mining to help with process discovery, modeling, and increasingly sort of conformance checking. You know, are you operating the way that you're expecting to? And so overall, you can see there's a lot of different technologies that are starting to come through. Um, my fastest, where we look at the fastest growing, the RPA and the IPaaS sort of technologies and some of the LCAP, what we see is overall is the focus on ease of use for building the capabilities and then a delivery model based around as a service to try and simplify the operations and allow people to get value out of the platform quicker and faster without having to set up a big support structure around them. My prediction out of all of this is, is you know, we're moving towards an API first world. More specifically, you know, by 2025, 40% of IT leaders' purchasing patterns are going to change. It's going to shift due to an API-first approach driving your automation initiatives, which in turn will mean that the design and implementation of automation processes you know, are going to have to change as we move towards this API model. So what do we mean by API-first? What does Gartner define as, a, as an API-first uh, approach? It's pretty simple, really. API first means that you know, the primary mode of connection to a system must be via its programmatic interfaces that are provided by that system. Increasingly, that's going to be around APIs as more and more people move towards software as a service. We don't have to worry about the API quality at this point and how that's been created. That, that's for a, a discussion further down the line. But there is a clear direct trend and trajectory towards this. You know, we are seeing more and more clients move away from older packaged applications running on-premises towards a software-as-a-service model. And many of the software-service models have APIs uh, as a way to interact with these systems. So the more you adopt SaaS, the more they have APIs. APIs are easier to secure and more stable to interact with. And so it's only natural as people's application portfolio changes, we're going to start to see more and more of the technology shift to enable some of those capabilities as well. So ultimately, you know, the vendors that are in this space are going to focus a little bit more on orchestration and a less around sort of that endpoint connections. We're going to see the desire and the need for, for screen scraping and UI interaction remain for some of the older systems, but become part of a broader portfolio. And ultimately, with this as-a-service delivery model, we're going to see lots of opportunity to try and simplify and rationalize some of the tool sets. Um, so that's going to be sort of the, the major challenges as we start to start to flow forward. Thanks, Keith. So if I kind of recap what you said, you were moving to an API first world. And by 2025, 40% of IT leaders, you know, purchasing patterns will shift due to this API first approach to automation driving shifts in the design and implementation of business driven hyper automation initiatives. So now let me turn it over to SACAT. And SACAT, you've been the lead author of the Gartner's RPA Magic Quadrant for several years now. Maybe you could share your perspective of what your prediction is. What has happened leading up to your prediction? What could happen? And then share with us what your prediction is. Say, Kat, over to you. 
Yeah, sure. And and I think Keith has made my job a bit easier by setting all this context. Um, but well, as you all know, the basic foundation of every RPA solution is screen scraping. And RPA gained its popularity by offering the last mile of integration via screen scraping, especially when clients have a lot of legacy and complex ERP and back office applications. However, in the last two, three years, RPA vendors have significantly transformed their products, uh, and it has happened quite rapidly. To Kit's point, we see a rush towards API-first automation. There is no doubt about that. And then there is process mining, discovery, intelligent document processing, um, machine learning, or AutoML. Um, all these additional capabilities are now being added to an RPA platform which is making it look quite different from what it was two to three years ago. So moving forward, if I have to synthesize all these things into the vendor landscape, I would say we will see three different types of vendors. Number one, there will be the specialists, uh, which will come from a pure play RPA heritage, the likes of UiPath, Automation Anywhere, Blue Prism, so on and so forth. Well, these vendors have made their names by selling core RPA solution, and that's what they do at their best. Here comes the number two, the generalists, which is making this market so much more interesting, where you'll find the likes of Microsoft, Salesforce, ServiceNow, SAP, and IBMs of the world. These vendors have commoditized RPA in a larger platform and selling RPA almost as a feature which is offering a direct contrast to this specialist. Here comes the number three, the third type, which are the specialists from another Swimlin, uh, which basically started from a different category, such as a business process management or an enterprise business process automation type of tools. And these vendors offer RPA along with their comprehensive complex DPA, or business process automation landscape. So the likes of Appian, Pega, Nintex, so on and so forth. So here's what I am seeing um, on the vendor side in about, uh, I would say, roughly around two years. And my predict would be that 95% of RPA vendors will offer automation via both API and UI integration. So when we see the vendor's landscape changing like that, here is the prediction for our customers. By 2025, customer mandates for scaling productivity and value, um, we think will give rise to enterprise process automation, which will enable 40% of organizations to achieve higher order architecture and designed for automation, augmentation, or autonomy. Now remember, EPA, or Enterprise Process Automation, or Platform Automation, uh, would mean that organizations will scale their automation beyond screen scraping and complement that with APIs, robust workflows, and process insights to achieve enterprise scale automation. This will set the stage for an EPA market. Wow, uh, Seikat, that's, that's a big mouthful. So you made a pretty bold statement in there that was close to 
you actually said 95% of RPA vendors will offer automation via both API and UI integration. And you refer to the almost the commoditization of RPA. And then if I kind of unpack some of it, you talked about three types or categories of RPA vendors, if I got that right. One, the generalists, and then two types of specialists. The specialists from a pure play, RPA heritage, and then specialists from this other swim lane that started maybe in a different category like BPM or BPA. So you're saying all three of these you know, categories of vendors will come together in some way, shape, or form um, and offer API and UI integration. So in a short, maybe concise way, what do you mean by API and UI integration? How would a buyer know when they see that? Sure. So, well, first of all, by UI integration, I mean primarily the screen scraping part. In other words, um, what I'm, I'm implying is that API first and screen scraping are going to be side by side in a vendor's integration fabric. It will be abstracted from the customers as they will care about the outcome and less about the method of integration. Uh, because end of the day, they, they all want to achieve automation, no matter whatever integration methods that they would adopt. In fact, almost all the vendors that appeared in our Magic Quadrant um, this year have API integration capabilities, which I find quite interesting. On the other hand, many IPaaS vendors would support screen scraping. Okay, let me recap your prediction. By 2025, customer uh, mandate for scale for scaling productivity and value will give rise to enterprise platform automation, enabling 40% of organizations to achieve higher order architecture and design for automation or augmentation or autonomy. And then you talked about the vendor landscape where 95% of these RPA vendors will, will offer automation um, via both API and UI integration. So let me turn to Keith and maybe put you on the spot. Do you kind of agree with Saycat's predictions? Well, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good one to try and have a look at. And do, you know, Can I agree and disagree at the same time? Um, I think that Saycat's prediction of 95% you know, of the vendors will have API and UI integration probably going to become true in fact you know i think you may, may maybe the, the the date's a little further out i think you know, we're, we're probably closer to that already today i think but the where i might disagree and perhaps this leads into the, the what it means from the end users is you know really around what are we going to call this right you know can it be fair to say you know this is an rpa market expanding or is this an ipass market expanding i think you know the, the actual prediction around you know, value given to EPA enabling of organizations. I think that's really where this stuff's going, right? It's the balance between the suite versus the 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 the, the best of breed, and I think ultimately, um, I I think I agree with with where this is going. You know, the, the trend is definitely towards you know, the broad set of capabilities, and the more clients want to get value of our automation initiatives, the more complex the environments become. So you know, I have to agree with those statements. Great. Okay. Let's now move on to kind of talking about in more detail about this EPA or enterprise platform automation. Um, we could call it a prediction or maybe more it's a, a trend or a movement in this whole arena. Um, just a couple of months ago, about three months ago, we at Gartner had a webinar on September 14th, and we kind of unveiled this interesting graphic or you know framework that showcased this client journey 
from things like digitizing your assets or your paper to going into things like um, ingestion engines and then uh, moving you know, across to architecting and designing, developing and deploying and connecting. And we kind of looked at all of that together and said, you know, this movement is no longer about RPA, it's more about EPA or the customer's zeal and demand for potentially reducing the number of vendors or simplifying, you know, their structure. So we call this enterprise platform automation. What do each of you think about that? Uh, Seikat, why don't I start with you? Yeah, well, uh, I think EPA or enterprise platform or enterprise process automation is the reality. We are definitely seeing the mega vendors chiming in. We are definitely seeing that there is a trend that moving in that direction. However, due to the same hypothesis that I um, just uh, described a few minutes ago around specialists versus generalists, I believe RPA integration platform as a service or IPaaS, low-code application platforms or LCAP and EPA, they will all coexist for some time. Um, and I believe there is a definite market for EPA, but large enterprise customers, as we have talked to them over several times, initially will hesitate to put all eggs in one bucket or create a monolith, and rather they will have a distributed ecosystem. Yeah, fun fundamentally, I, I agree with the capabilities mapped out that, that we mapped out as part of the uh, enterprise platform automation story. Yeah, th this is a trend we're seeing today for, for sure, and the, the trend is definitely real. I'm a firm believer of capability-focused strategies to ensure that you focus on the outcomes rather than the products. But the challenge clients always have is how to best deliver on those required capabilities. As Saikat said, the independent technology categories will coexist for some time to come. And yet many vendors will try and deliver on all of these capabilities at the same time. So ultimately, it's going to come down to the same thing as it always does. For each client, do they prefer the single vendor suite approach where they might get help and assistance with support? Or do they want to help with the best of breed model um, going forward to try and help differentiate how they operate? You know, and this answer is going to be different for everyone. Uh, thank you, Keith and Seikat, for your uh, thoughts on EPA or enterprise platform automation. So now let me, it's time to kind of bookend our, part, our podcast and leave our listeners with some parting wisdom from Gartner. Let's pretend that we're all sitting here talking in 2026. So it's about three years and a month in the future. And you have this magic power of communicating to someone back in 2023 and sharing your wisdom in the form of a postcard from the future. Now, for those who uh, uh, are not as old as I am, remember postcards. They're these fun handwritten cards that for those who are too young to remember, they're about five inches by high by seven inches long. And for those who use the metric system, it's about 12 by 17 or so centimeters. They usually have a photograph or some sort of picture on one side and on the back, it involves, you know, you putting the recipient's name and address and a posted stamp and using what is sometimes referred to as snail mail, um, which is the regular post office. And then you have just a little bit of real estate to fill in and put some of your messages. So you could say postcards were the early, early, you know, prelude to a tweet because they had to be short, they had to be terse, and you didn't have a lot of real estate to write a really big, long letter. So with that preamble, 
Um, Sekat, I'm going to ask you to tell me what's your short message of wisdom that you would put on your postcard from the future to our listeners. Yeah, so I'm, I'm all amped up by Kate's FBI first vision. So let me say something provocative here. Um, I would say RPA is dead, long live automation. Well, on a more serious note, what I mean is that RPA in the form of screen scraping is dead and the automation is what will definitely prevail. So I would say that avoid a technology first mindset, look into your business goals, focus on four core capabilities around specifically building a platform for your automation. And they would be number one, integration, number two, workflow, number three, data, and number four, total experience. And map your technology needs to each one of these capability areas. They may or may not be a single vendor. More importantly, build an adaptive governance that aligns to the unique needs for your automation. Thank you. And Keith, what are your words of wisdom on your postcard from the future? Well, I won't say what the picture is, but on the word side of things, I kind of try and keep it simple. Just focus on the outcomes and less on the tools, right? I think ultimately, if you understand what it is you're trying to build, the tools just become an implementation detail. So yeah, don't get hooked up on the technology. Reiterating SciCat, really. Fantastic. Thank you all for joining our Tech Wave, Gartner's podcast for technology business-driven results and demystifying hyper-automation was our topic today. And we had a fun predictions playground. Thank you to both Keith and to Saycat. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.